James 1, beginning in verse 9. Let the lowly brother boast in his exaltation, and the rich in his humiliation. Because like a flower of the grass, he will pass away. For the sun rises with its scorching heat and withers the grass. Its flower falls and its beauty perishes. So also will the rich man fade away in the midst of his pursuits. Blessed is the man who remains steadfast under trial. For when he has stood the test, he'll receive the crown of life, which God has promised to those who love him. Here in these words, God is having you and me to consider more than just our having an adequate amount of money to meet our daily needs. He's asking us to consider the attitude that we have towards our condition. I'd like for us to begin our study today by asking ourselves a simple question. What do we think of the living conditions and the lifestyle that we find ourselves in today? Are we happy? Are we satisfied? Are we contented with who we are and where we are in life? Now I want to remind us that the Apostle James who penned these words is a no-nonsense, get-straight-to-the-point kind of messenger from God. And that's the manner that you and I need to give consideration to in these words. God intends for you and me to confront ourselves with these kinds of questions. And so, may I ask them again? How do you feel about your own personal financial condition right at this moment? How do you feel about your own personal financial condition right at this moment because the emotion with which you live each day impacts most everything that you do. So the question, how do you feel about your own personal financial condition right at this moment? Are you satisfied with it? Are you contented? Not only about the amount of money that you have in your bank account, but what about all those other things that come into your lifestyle? What about your house? Do you like your house? Is it nice enough? What about your car? What about your truck? Those clothes that you're wearing, what about them? Is your jewelry real? Is the stone in your ring as big as you would like for it to be? And while we're considering our own financial condition, what is our attitude towards the way that other people live as compared to us, as compared to ourselves. When you observe other people, especially those that you believe to have more money than you, do you envy them? Do you despise them? And what about those other people, those that you believe probably have less than you have? Do you think less of them because of that and because they live in that other section of town? And while we're asking these questions about ourselves, what do you think that other people think about you and your lifestyle and your living condition? Do you think that they think that you're rich or that you're poor or perhaps somewhere in between? Now, I know that we can't know what other people think about us 
And it is our one of our first responses to say, well, I really don't get all concerned about what other people think about me. But may I say to you, you do care. You really do care what other people think of you. The way you're dressed, your clothes, your hair, your truck. I confess to you that while I really do love my pickup truck, I really don't like its color. I think I've shared that with you in the past. And so I was thinking, now why is it that I don't like that color? Do I just object to that color, that lime green? No, there's another reason. That color is the standard color of the U.S. Forestry Department. It's a truck that's been cycled out and sold to the public, me. And because I know that most men know that that is an old Forestry Department truck, it puts a little taint on my acceptance of the color of that truck. And that is silly of me. Utterly silly. And probably, to some degree, even borders on sinfulness. And could very easily. But is that response any different than enjoying wearing my Carhartt pants with the little Carhartt emblem on it? Or always making sure that my hair is combed and cut correctly? The truth is, there are a lot of emotions that go into our dealing with the way that we live each day. Not only the basics of it, that do we have enough food? Do we have adequate clothing or adequate transportation? It has just as much to do with what we think and feel about our finances. And especially, again, what other people might think. Now, as I said a moment ago, you may be protesting in your mind that it really doesn't matter to you what people think of you and the way you dress or your financial condition. But let me assure you again that you do. Why do I say that? It's because God addresses this very point. So many times, in so many ways throughout these scriptures, he addresses money and lifestyle and how it matters to us and how it should matter to us, how we should respond to it. And he wants us to address it the way he addresses it through these scriptures. I'd like for us to look at some of the things that God has to say to us about finances. In Matthew 6, there Jesus was speaking about some of the basics of life and the necessities that we have. He says, beginning in verse 31, he says, Do not worry, saying, What shall we eat or what shall we drink? What shall we wear? For after all these things the Gentiles seek. For your heavenly Father knows that you need all of these things. But seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness, and all these things shall be added to you. Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about its own things. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. Now, note in these words that it's not just a matter of us having enough of those basic necessities, what we'll wear, what we'll eat, 
Jesus is concerned about the way we worry about it. He's most concerned about our worrying. One basic truth that seems to prevail is that there are very few people among us that are truly happy, confident, satisfied with their financial condition. Very few people. And it doesn't matter which side of that cultural divide a person finds themselves on, whether they be wealthy or dirt poor. The poor suffering in their poverty and wanting desperately to have more, while the rich, in in somewhat the same vein, can never seem to have enough. Never seem to have enough. We are basically unsatisfied with the amount of money that we have. A friend of mine often quoted his daddy's response when his dad would be asked by someone, how much money do you make? And his dad's response was always, not enough or never enough. Unfortunately, to one degree or another, that is what most of us think and feel. Might not want to admit it to ourselves. That's why the Lord's bringing it up so that we can think about it, so we can consider it. And in many people's hearts, poor or wealthy, the desire for more actually becomes somewhat consuming. And again, it doesn't matter whether or not we're talking about wealthy people who want to make more money, the Warren Buffetts who want to have another billion, or you or me who would just like to have a a little bit more to uh, take that trip that we wanted to take. And it can become consuming to us. And that's why Jesus is wanting to deal with it here in several places in these scriptures. And he adds to this need for money and finances. He, He steps into this concern about this intense desire that we have, and he calls it mammon. Mammon. Now, mammon is a word that implies money, but it goes beyond just implying money. It implies the whole idea of the high life that wealth can provide, that lifestyle, that importance, that power, that position that comes with having more money. But intrinsic within it is this desire for more. Mammon, the idea of mammon, implies this desire that resides within each person's heart for more and for uh, more of what it would provide to the point that it dictates how we behave. Matthew 6, 24 and following, Jesus addresses it. He says, no one can serve two masters. Note there what he's talking about. He's talking about a master. It's not that you just want to have more. It's a deeper desire. One that masters you, and you become its slave. No one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or else he will be loyal to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and mammon. Therefore I say to you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor your body, what you will put on. Is not life more than food, and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air, for they neither sow nor reap nor gather in barns, yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than them? Which of you, by worrying, can add one cubit to his stature? 
So why do you worry about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. And yet I say to you that even Solomon in all of his glory was not arrayed like one of these. Now if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? Jesus is addressing this deeper thing, not just us having enough money and enough of the provisions of life to live off of. He's dealing with this deeper thing of how we feel about it. It goes on in Matthew 16, beginning in verse 24. He says to his disciples, If anyone wishes to come after me, he must deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. For whoever wishes to save his life will lose it, But whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. And listen to these words. For what will it profit a man if he gains the whole world and forfeits his soul? What will it profit a person to gain the whole world but forfeit their soul? What will a man give in exchange for his soul? For the Son of Man is going to come in the glory of his Father with his angels and will then repay every man according to his deeds. Now note again, in all of these words that I've been reading, that Jesus is putting this matter of our desire for more money into the perspective of our relationship with him for today and for eternity. Because he said in the verse I just read, verse 27 of Matthew 16, For the Son of Man is coming in the glory of His Father and with His angels and will repay every man according to his deeds. That which you and I allow to control our emotions and thoughts about our finances is going to come into judgment. It will. Our scripture again for today Verse 9 there in James chapter 1. Let the lowly brother then boast in his exaltation and the rich in his humiliation because like the flower of the grass he will pass away. For the sun rises with its scorching heat and withers the grass. Flower falls and the beauty perishes. So also will the rich man fade away in the midst of his pursuits. Blessed is the man who remains steadfast under trial For when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life, which God has promised to those who love him. Notice there, right at the end of that, that God is relating that which we do with our finances to blessed is the man who remains steadfast under trial. For when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life, eternal life, which God has promised. Now, it is no coincidence that these exhortations here regarding our perspective on wealth and poverty immediately follow along from those commands that we've been studying for the past two weeks regarding the trials of our faith because they are inextricably linked together. A person's financial condition really does have such a strong and immediate impact on the daily life of every person, rich or poor, And then consequently upon how they live out that day and walk that day with the Lord. And again, there are these financial needs at all the levels of poverty and wealth. And if at any time, whether you're very poor or very wealthy, 
when those limits get tested, when you wake up in the morning and you realize you don't have enough money to eat that day and you don't have gas to put in your car to get to work, or else you wake up that morning and you look at the commodities market and you see you just lost your shirt. These anxiety levels tend to rise. And if you and I don't have the proper perspective that God is speaking about here, then the testing of our faith will begin to escalate. Now, probably not many of us here in this church can relate closely to the anxieties of the truly wealthy. I've never been wealthy, and I don't believe that any of you probably have been. But we can relate to those who are poor. My heart goes out to those who find it necessary to go to those check advance and title loan businesses all throughout our towns. Those businesses have a thriving flow of customers, all suffering from the problems of a lack of money. So what do they do? They go to one and they write a check and they get the money for it. And most of it has to go to that other store that they had written the check to a few days earlier. And then some of that has to go to the other store that they wrote that check to. They've gotten so far behind that very little of the check that they're writing goes towards buying gas to get to work or food for the day. My only relationship in thinking to those who might have money comes from the most recent recession when I looked at my retirement account and I saw that it had dropped about 30%. So I can relate a little bit to the wealthy in that sense. But otherwise, I do relate more closely with those who have very little money. Whether we're rich or we're poor, our financial condition really does have a strong impact. And we worry. And Jesus says, I don't want you to worry. We fret. But God is telling us here that there is another factor that He wants you and me to look at in this equation of money. And that other factor is Him, God Himself. He is our loving Father. Do you have this vision of God being a loving and intimate Father? A loving and intimate Father that has a desire and a plan for every part of your life. That which is going to take place today and tomorrow and on into eternity. He is that kind of Father. And if you gain nothing else from this message today, you need to have that. That He is watching over you and if we'll only do what He's telling us to do. To trust in Him. Great is His faithfulness that we sang earlier. If we will simply trust in Him, then we really will find at the end of the day that we had enough money to get that gas and to get that food that we needed for the day. But let me say to you, and what, this is what He's saying here in these words. He's saying He doesn't want us just to go ahead and get the food, get the gasoline, be fed, be clothed, and on our way. He wants you and me to exult in the way that we're fed and clothed. He wants us to look at what has taken place when we get to the end of the day and we find out that we really did have enough mercies for that day. He wants us to be satisfied with His provision. That's a question I asked you at the beginning. 
Are you satisfied with His provision? Or do you simply walk away from these kinds of messages saying, well, I guess I'm doing okay. No, He wants you to be satisfied with His provision. And He wants you and me to know that it was Him who provided it. Yes, sometime during the month I get a check from Uncle Sam for my Social Security. And I get a check from my retirement plan. And you say, well, thank you, Lord, for those. But do we really believe that He provided it? He just filters it through them. He wants us to. He wants us to know that He provided it. And He wants you and me to be satisfied with what we receive to the point that we will exult in His provision. So I want to ask you, are you right at this moment satisfied? Are you happy? Are you contented with the provision that God has made for you to the point that you will boast in that, that you will glory in His provision? If you are not that satisfied, then I would like to say to you on the authority of these words that you have a problem, and it's not with your finances. It is with the Lord Himself. Now, I know that might sound harsh and condemning, and I don't mean it to be, but it is true. On the authority of these words, when we're able to make this transition from depending solely upon our own self and our own wits to meet our daily financial needs, and we begin to have a dependence upon the Lord and His provision, then let me assure you that mysterious things will begin to take place. God has ways of meeting our needs that we'd not otherwise think of. And we'll begin to have less and less of those days when we don't quite have enough money to buy gas for a car or food to eat. But again, I want to remind us before we close, God's provision carries with it an important codicil, and He speaks here in these words. He wants you and I to respond to His provision with thankfulness and exaltation, praising the Lord. He says, verse 9, Let the lowly brother... Boast in his exaltation. Lord, I don't have much, but you gave me everything I needed and I'm happy with it. The rich man in his humiliation, Lord, I didn't deserve a thing. I didn't earn any of this. You gave me all that I have. He wants us to remember from whence his provision comes and to give back the glory to him as the provider. Now again, before we close... Our financial provision and our problems are all part of those many conditions that he spoke about just a few verses earlier in the testing of our faith. Your faith is tested daily in this matter of finances. He's saying to you and to me, I want you to stand this test well. Let me close with these words. He says, trust in me. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not to your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him and he'll direct your path. And he says, blessed is the man or woman who remains steadfast under those trials. For when he has stood the test, he'll receive the crown of life which God has promised to those who love him. Finally, John Piper has a quote that I really enjoy. It says simply that God is most 
glorified in us when we are most satisfied in Him. God is most glorified in us when we are most satisfied in Him. Are you satisfied with what God is doing in your life, especially as it would regard these finances that He's been speaking about here, so satisfied that you'd brag about it, that you would boast about it? Let's pray.